Thrive Church, thanks for joining us online today. Man, I'm so excited to have you with us. I am Kevin, the lead pastor here at Thrive. And what you're going to discover is that we're one church in two locations. And so what we do, we use a teaching team. So today you'll get to hear from myself or one of our other communication team members, whether it be a campus pastor or or another staff member, uh, to share today's message. We love to see God move in your life. And so I'm excited that today's message is going to impact you. Uh, Beyond today's message, also, if you've not downloaded our app yet, you can download our app, Thrive Church app, where you can uh, give, you can listen to messages, you can sign up for small groups, you can sign up to serve, you can sign up for almost anything except being an astronaut and going to the moon because we don't do that. But everything else, you can sign up to do it on our app. And so we're pumped today that God's going to move in your life to today's message. So on to today's message. Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. It's good to have you guys uh, with us today. Uh, We are in between sermon series. And so next week, I'm excited to start a series called A Grinchy Christmas. And I actually get to share some of my own journey and how people, all of us, turn into cynics. You may think, man, I've become a little cynical. Well, over the Christmas season, we're going to talk about how we all can become cynical and what is the cure for that. But today, uh, kind of in between series, I want to talk to you about something that's, that's pretty important to this church. We have four major values that shape what we do and who we are. Uh, we have mission. So we want to teach you that every believer should live on mission 24-7. All of you are missionaries. If you call in the name of Jesus, you're a missionary. Uh, our, our second value is multiplication, is that we believe as a church that our job is to expand. Our job is to support church plants and missionaries, and the gospel should multiply into different areas and regions. We also believe in meals, M E. A-L-S. We believe in sharing and meals together, meaning that we believe that as a church family, we should do life together through groups and through teams and through relationships. But today, I want to speak to you about something that's our fourth value called maturity. It's called maturity. If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Hebrews 5, 11. Uh, I'm not sure if your dad said this to you or your mom, or maybe you even said this to your child this week. But there was a saying that my dad would say to me when I did something wrong. And not just did something wrong, but he would say to me when I would mess up, he would say, son, you know better than that. You ever heard that before? Have you said that to your your children before? You know better than that. And what were you saying to them? Or, Or what was being said to you is this. You have knowledge of this situation that should require you to act differently in this situation, right? That's what you're saying. You're saying you have the knowledge where you should not have had that action. And today I want to talk to you about that because I believe that um, when we look at this concept of maturity, that's what our Heavenly Father would probably say to us in many situations in our life. I want to break down what does maturity really look like because as I follow Jesus, there's a lot of misnomers about maturity. There's a lot of people who believe they're spiritually mature. There are a lot of people that we deem as spiritually mature who aren't really spiritually mature. I want us to look at that. And as you look at Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews is really someone that we're unaware of. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Um, I spent a lot of money in college to learn this stuff. (laughs) A lot of school loans to pay just to learn who is the writer of Hebrews. They don't know. 
the writer of Hebrews is writing to a largely Jewish audience. It's all about how the Jews can become Christians or remain Christians, like, you know, and still remain Jewish. It's okay that Christ fulfilled the law. He didn't take it away. And so the writer is just expounding on all these topics. And so if you read the book of Hebrews, you can understand it's through a Jewish lens. Some people believe that Paul could have uh, written Hebrews. Uh, some believe that Luke wrote Hebrews, but Luke was, wasn't a Jew, so probably not Luke. And the others say maybe Apollos wrote Hebrews. We're not sure, but here's what we do know about Hebrews. That person loves some coffee because it was called Hebrews. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, I'm back. I was just on vacation last week. You got to give me a courtesy laugh there. I digress, friends. I digress. <laughs> But as he writes, especially in chapter 5, he's trying to explain to them about some really uh, difficult things to understand from the Jewish Old Testament about Melchizedek and things that we don't have time to get into today. And he's uh, just trying to really break down the idea of the high priest and that Jesus says, now your high priest is a Jew. And he's showing them the analogies of it. He's breaking it down. But the writer of Hebrews just pauses for a second. And he says something really offensive to the listeners there. And I imagine as the elder of the church who read this whole letter to that church in the first century, it was offensive as well. And look what he says in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11. He's explaining about the high priest and Jesus and all this stuff. And then look what he says. He's, he says, there is much more we would like to say about this. But it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. I don't know about y'all, that's offensive. I mean, could you imagine if like, I'm preaching, it's like, man, I would love to go more in depth, but you guys just don't listen, and most of you are spiritually dull. <laughs> I mean, I would take offense to that. See, he says something really offensive. But look what he says beyond that, and he explains why he's saying that to them. He's saying, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. He shares with those believers that you've been believers so long now, you shouldn't just be consuming, but you should be contributing. You've been believers so long now, it's almost like, you know better than that. But I've got to bring you back to the basics. And what I want to do today is kind of unpack what is spiritual maturity? Because at Thrive, that's one of our values. We believe in spiritual maturity. We believe in maturity. And all of us are on a growth spectrum, every one of us. You don't just become a mature believer. If you, believe, if you say, I'm a mature believer, then you've missed it. Because all of us, if you looked at like level 1 to level 10, we're all on this spectrum of, of spiritual maturity. We're all growing toward that. The mission of Thrive is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at on, on that spectrum. But I do know that all of us have a responsibility to continue to mature in our faith. To continue to do that. So what is maturity? And, and, and I love what Larry Osborne said. I sat, um, Larry Osborne pastors North Coast Church in, uh, out in the West Coast. He's been pastor around 45 years, uh, just a man of wisdom. He could teach on changing a tire, and I would sit in his sessions just to listen because he's that interesting, right? He's one of those guys. And, and Larry Osborne said this. He said, discipleship is simple. He said, we make it into all these classes and all these things. He said, you know what discipleship is? He said, it's obeying what you know. That's what discipleship is. It's obeying what you know. Now think about that for a second. What does Jesus call us to in Scripture? The word obedience. It's not just knowing a bunch of stuff. It's not, you know, having a lot of knowledge, but literally it's obeying what you know. 
and that is for everybody. So if it's a child, and, and like my son learned last month that you can't be brave. Like that's what they learn in the, you know, in the uh, little, little kids area. And he was playing with a little child at the Chick-fil-A thing. And, and, uh, and the dad said, and my, my son was scared to jump off this thing. And the dad said, hey, tell him what you learned. And, and the kid goes to Dawson. He says, you can't be brave. Or something like that. And Dawson goes, I can't be brave. And they're doing this really weird thing at Chick-fil-A. I said, orange curriculum. He's like, yeah. And so he's like, you know, and, and these little kids were obeying simply what they knew. If you've just given your life to Christ or if you were like me, I'd never read through the New Testament. That literally it was learning and then obeying what I had learned. It's not just learning a bunch of information. That's what discipleship is. And so our working definition, if you have your notes handy, you can write this down. That being mature is more about what you do than what you know. Being mature is more about what you do than what you know. Because many of us have bought into the fallacy that it's all about what you know. And even Paul said, as he's writing, that knowledge makes people prideful. But love builds people up. What is love? Love is action. He says, oh, you can have knowledge and you'll be prideful. But when you have love and action, that's what makes you more like Christ. And so discipleship at Thrive is, is obeying what you know. Do you know every message that, that, that I write, and I write content for both the locations and work with the campus pastor teams, there's a question that I have to answer in every message. What do I want them to do? And when I work with pastors, it blows their mind. They said, I never thought of that. Because if you leave here saying, that was a good message, pastor, but you can't do anything on Wednesday with it, guess what? It wasn't a good message. It was merely information. And so I don't know about you, but, but throughout the years, I've bought into some myths of spiritual maturity. And, and, and here's just a few. Uh, the first myth is this. You can write this down. I could, I could give you hundreds, but here's kind of just some things that I've seen. Is that mature believers have been following Jesus a long time. That's the first myth, is that mature believers have been following Jesus a long time. One pastor said it this way. He said, I have had to part the mustaches of men to get the milk in their mouth because they're still babies. You can say either amen or oh me or oh my. That sometimes we believe just because somebody, you know, is older, men following Jesus like that, they're mature, automatically mature. And that's not the case. I've seen people before that, that are older, but they never matured in their faith. They're still immature emotionally. They're still immature spiritually. The things they think about, what their life revolves around. And then I have met some that as they get older, they do mature in their faith. That just because you've been in church a long time, just because you've been in the faith a long time, does not make you mature. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you go to a gym... And there's somebody who's been there for 15 years every day at the gym, but they've made no progress. Do you think they're healthy? <laughs> no. Matter of fact, I was talking with one of our members here, the particular gym that I go to would be unnamed. But there's these two guys. And these two guys going to the gym, and they've been going since, I've been going to that same gym about 2014, which is five years now. And, and literally, they, 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 they're, they're still in the same condition they were in when they first came. And they go into the gym, and they will pick up the heaviest weights they can. And they'll go, oh. I literally put it down, and they'll just stand there. I look around. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. If I, had, if, if I could video that with integrity, I would do it. They get the bench, and they lay on the bench press, and they... And, 
never gets one rep. His friend helps him up, and he's just kind of, now, I would never go to that person like, hey, can you really teach me how to be healthy, would I? <laughs> You've been in the gym a long time. You've attempted to do some of this stuff. Can you teach me? Would, would we ever do that? No, but we do that in church. Oh, brother, so-and-so is mature. He's been in the faith a long time. And I've shared this story before, that when I first gave my life to Christ, I, you know, I didn't know church. I didn't understand church, especially church politics and Deacon, demon deacon boards. I mean, you know, not, not demon, but you know, deacon boards and, 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 and how they voted for guys to be on deacon boards. And, and there was people who would get on deacon boards that were actually some of the worst people in our community. I'll never forget, I've told the story before, if maybe you remember this, I'm working at a concrete plant, and Mr. Martin Searles comes in. He's an older African-American guy, and, and I just love that man. And he come in, he said, whoo, oh, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if that was me out there on that job, I would kill so-and-so. I was like, what happened? He said, so-and-so called them guys every racial slur in the book. He GD'd them, MF'd them. He just was going off on them. And he said, and he named the name of the, of the company that this guy, I said, my eyes got that big. And I, I turned white. He said, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He was on our deacon board of our church. The people voted him in to be a deacon and this is because they thought he's mature. Why? Because he gave a lot of money to missions. And I then begin to realize not everybody who's just been in the faith a long time is actually mature. You can, you can be in church a long time and never mature in your faith. So it's not just years that matter. Uh, the, the second myth that, that I've seen is this, that spiritual maturity is how much you know about the Bible. That's not spiritual maturity. Now, let me say this. You should be growing in your knowledge of God's word. That is a responsibility of a disciple. The word disciple means learner. So we have more resources now than ever in history. We have Bible study uh, books. We have apps. I have loved the YouVersion app. You should be reading. But just because you know a lot of scripture does not make you spiritually mature. Just because you can spout off, you know, scripture like a machine gun doesn't mean that you're actually mature in your faith. Because a lot of us are way more educated beyond our obedience. That we know so much more than we're actually applying. And it's not how much you know about that, it's how much you're applying. I remember talking to, to a couple seminary guys and they're arguing. If you know the whole theology thing, one's Armenian, one's Calvin, Calvinism. And they're, they're arguing about, are you once saved, always saved, are you not, blah, blah, blah. And they get these, you know, these debates about that. And they're arguing and I'm watching them. Finally, I go up to him in one of the dorms. I said, so, so you guys really believe in this topic about salvation? I said, yeah, yeah, we believe in it. Oh, yeah, they're heated. That's stuff that, you know, you argue about when you're 25 years old. And they're arguing about it. They're going to us. I said, so you believe that, that this is important? They said, yes. Let me ask you a question. How many people have you led to Christ in the past year? And Nobody. They wanted to argue about all the knowledge they had about all these scriptures. But if salvation was that important, why aren't you leading people into a saving relationship with Jesus? But they had not done that. So it's not just how much you know about the Bible. A lot of people say, well, I can't serve and teach kids. I don't know a lot about the Bible. How do you learn? The best way to learn is to begin to teach others. Three months after I got saved, I don't recommend this, they had me teaching young adults who've been saved way longer the book of James. They gave me a big old thing on the book of James. Uh, you know, a couple of the leaders in our church just, hey, you're going to teach this to young adults. I'd never read the book of James, y'all. So guess how I learned the book of James? I had to teach it. And so it's just not how much you know about the Bible. That's not spiritual. It's how much are you obeying of what's in the Bible. 
And here's the third myth that I've seen and even I've bought into. And it's this, that being mature means listening to deep teaching. Being mature means listening to real deep teaching. It's, it's one of those things where what we believe is deep and what God deems is deep may be two different things. I remember one lady told me, she said, listen, honey, she said, I love you, but I got to get me some deep teaching. I can't be here to thrive. You just ain't deep enough. And I understood. I said, ma'am, I'm not. I said, I, I, don't, I don't teach for you to say amen and say preach it. I teach so you can live it. I said, I'm going to teach you simple truths you can live, not just things that you can listen to. And here's where I first learned about this. My friend and I went to a revival service many years ago. And this preacher got up, and he was sweating. He was crying. He had the handkerchief, and everybody was amen, and they were, preach it, preach it. You know, he was going crazy. And he was talking about the kingdom of God and the transformation of the information. Of the, I mean, just all these words, and he was just going off and all this stuff. We got done. And my friend, who, who we were planting a church together, he said, man, that was, a, that was awesome. I said, yeah, man. I said, what did he say? He said, man, he's the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, man, that's right. And I said, well, what is the kingdom of God? What does it even mean? He's like, I, I don't know. I said, what are you supposed to do from what he said? He said, you know, and we sat there, he laughed said, I have no clue what I'm supposed to do now. He was all in a tizzy. It's kind of like, you know, you just get all, just get all excited and all pumped up. You have no idea what you're supposed to do next. And, and that's when I realized that the goal, every time anybody communicates that thrives, is to help you take a next step. It's not just for you to love what you've been listening to. It's for you to live what you've been listening to. And that's the goal of maturity. Every time you crack up in God's word, you're asking, God, what is my next step with what I just read? And that's the goal of being mature in, in your faith. And that applies to everybody. So whether you know a lot of scriptures or just a little, whether you've been in Christ a long time or just a little bit, we all have the same scorecard. Because if we get this wrong, we're going to use the wrong scorecard. You're going to view people as spiritually mature who aren't. And then you may even in your own life start believing you're mature and you're actually, in God's eyes, still a baby in the faith. But you don't know how much I know. But God wants to know, and I want to know how much are you living. As a matter of fact, James said this. James 1.22, the half-brother of Jesus wrote this. And he writes this to believers who are facing persecution. And he says this in James 1.22. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. Like we're listening to God's word right now, right? We're listening. He says, but you must do what it says. Otherwise, and this is key, you are only fooling yourselves. Have you ever been deceived by someone before, right? You know the feeling that, how did I miss that? James says you can actually deceive yourself. That's scary. It's one thing for, for a person to deceive you. It's another thing for you to deceive you. And James says the way we get to that point in our life is when we start uh, you know, really thinking listening is more important than doing. He says, don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. And that's the role of, disciple, of a disciple of Christ is do what it says. Obey what you know. And so here's the question you've got to ask yourself, and here's the next step we've got to take. And I can't answer this for you, but you can answer this. And here's the question. What are you doing with what you know? My dad would say to me, you know better than that. Meaning that you have, come on, man, you know this. Your actions have got to be congruent with your knowledge. 
So what are you doing with what you know as a follower of Jesus? How are you living out your faith? What are the gaps in your faith where you say, yeah, you know what? There's some gaps here. There's some things I know, but some things I just don't do. And the goal of a, of, of a disciple of Christ is to say, you know what? I'm going to close that gap because I know better than that. My actions can actually get better with the knowledge that I have. And so here's four marks of actions of mature believers. I want you to write these down here. And these are, again, I could write hundreds of these. But over the years, as I've led, you know, churches for many years now, been a part of churches for many years, here, here are four things I've seen where believers, four actions that mature believers have, no matter how long you've been saved. Here's four actions. The first one is humble. They're humble. A mature believer is actually humble. They're not prideful. They're not arrogant. They're not know-it-alls. They're humble. It means they don't think less of themselves. They think less often of themselves. They're able to put other people first. They don't pursue platforms and spotlights. They simply want the interest of Jesus and the interest of others to go forth. And humility is the main mark of, 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 of a believer. No, you know how I know that? Because that's not something I came up with. That's something God's serious about. Humility is not talked about in the church today. It's not talked about. Matter of fact, we don't even, like, there's no one ever asked me, how humble are you, Kevin? Because if you're not humble, you should never be in a pulpit. I had to learn humility the hard way because either you'll humble yourself or God will humble you. God really had to humble me. Like, I was a slow learner, right? <laughs> but here's how I know it's serious. One of the writers of the New Testament says this. He says that God opposes the proud, opposes the proud, but gives greater grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I can handle a boss opposing me. I can handle a coworker opposing me. I can even handle a family member opposing me. But do you know who I can't handle opposing me? God. And literally it says that God opposes the proud, people who are arrogant, who make it all about themselves. But then it says he gives the greater grace to those who are humble. And so one of the things you'll see about mature believers, you'll notice in mature believers, is they have a mark of humility about them. They have a mark of saying, I want Jesus first and others first. I'm going to defer. I don't need to always have it my way. They're not prideful and arrogant. I want the best way, not my way. Now, here's the second mark of a mature believer, and this is super key. They are hard to offend, and they find it easy to forgive. Say it one more time if you're taking notes. They are hard to offend, and they find it easy to forgive. So, so a mature follower of Christ is not easily offended, but they find it easy to forgive. Now, now, now let's, let's flip that one second. Are you ready? Immature believers are easily offended. They're angry and upset about everything. I mean, any and everything, and they cannot forgive people. They hold grudges. And this is, again, a super serious top ten thing to God. It's not just something I came up with. But mature believers are almost unoffendable. They have what I call a Teflon spirit. They don't believe that everybody's out to get them and everybody's wrong. Man, they're, they're like, you know what? It's all right, man. People are people. It doesn't offend me. I forgive them. I really, you hear those words from mature, but immature believers, 
are the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, Jesus, and I said, shared this a few weeks ago, he told these Jewish leaders, these Jewish people, he said, if you have ought against somebody else and you come to the Jewish temple to come offer sacrifices and worship, he said, keep your sacrifice. God doesn't want it. Go reconcile yourself to that person. Because one of the principles you understand that, 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 that Jesus held tightly that showed us about the Heavenly Father is that, is that if you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. And many times we don't view that. We're angry, offended, just, uh, 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 you know, all these things. And we think we're, we're cool with God. And God's like, oh, no, no, it's not that way. Matter of fact, Jesus even said this. And I didn't say this, so don't, don't get mad at me. And so it's one of those things that, again, in college you're going to study and you can spend a lot of money on to learn this one thing. He said, if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will refuse to forgive you. Now, the way he words this, and you break this down, is the best experience of this is this here. When you refuse to forgive other people, you'll never experience the freedom of forgiveness your heavenly Father gives. When you hold grudges and you're always offended, you think your anger is hurting that person. You know who it's really hurting? It's hurting you. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. It's about you being free. And many times we'll set up these walls and these prisons to keep everybody else out. But then we wake up one morning and realize, man, we're, we can't, we're trapped. They're not trapped. They're living their life. They're happy. I'm the one that's angry. And so what must we do? Man, be hard to offend. Just, just like, you know, I'm going to be hard to offend. One thing about the people in my life that are closest to me, they are so hard to offend. Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, one of the people is Keith Rowe. Keith and Mark, those two guys, they are almost unoffendable. You know why? Because the moment that I cross the line of offense, Keith will say, I'm sure you didn't mean to do this, but when you did this, this is how it made me feel. And you know what I'll say? Man, I'm so sorry. I never meant or intentionally meant to do that. Oh, I forgive you. It's all good. Do you see how that works? Where somebody who's immature would, would hold that in and say, oh, yeah, I saw what he did there. Ball-headed joker thinks he's something else. I'm taller than he is, right? <laughs> and you got to surround yourself with people who are hard to offend because you know what happens to you when you get around those people? You start getting hard to offend. But when you get around people who are easily offended, then you become easily offended because that's all they talk about. And, and here's the role you should play in people's lives. When you find somebody who's easily offended don't ever find, and they, they can't forgive others, you need to play the role and say, you know what? Hey, hey, here's the deal. You need to get past that offense. And you need to learn forgiveness because that's the mark, one of the key marks of Christianity. Be hard to offend and find it easy to forgive. Here's the third attribute you find of believers who are mature. They're hungry. Not hungry for lunch. Y'all like, yeah, 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 I'm hungry all the time. I know you are. I am too. Thank God it's not the 1030 service. You guys will get out and get lunch before they do. But they're hungry for God's word. They're hungry for worship and for intimacy with the Father. They're hungry to get better at who they are as a person. They don't believe who they are as a husband, who they are as a father, who they are as a friend is good enough. They believe they can get better. They believe they need to get better, and they're proactive about that. And when you find somebody who's a mature believer, who's well, who does have that gray hair, and you, you realize they are mature, you'll realize they never stop learning. They never stop learning. One of the folks that you'll see at our church who's on our directional team is, is Randy Joyce. And from time to time, you'll see a guy who has gray hair playing the bass guitar. You think, that's pretty cool. And, 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 and Randy's one of those guys, when I first came to this church, he was like my only guy. I mean, it was just me and him and, 
you know, 21 other people. But Randy had a heart to learn and has a heart to learn. He said, I've never played this contemporary music. I traveled to the Southern God, but I would love to learn. And he would bring his guitar home and practice and learn this music. Not only that, he wanted to learn how to be a better leader and how we could do our books better, how we could do things better. You want to surround yourself with hungry people because you know what hungry people do to you? They make you hungry. And as you get older, you want to get better. You want to learn. We studied um, with Dr. Bobby Clinton from Fuller Theological Seminary. We studied thousands of Christians. I've told you before, only one out of three Christians actually finish well. Only one out of three. 33%. It's shocking. Especially Christian leaders. And one of the attributes of these leaders who finished well were they were lifelong learners up to the very end. They were always hungry to be better in the word, hungry for more of God. They were hungry to figure out how can I be a better husband, better father, better friend, better church member. They wanted to be hungry. And then finally, here's the the last attribute. What's the action? Mature believers, they put action in their faith. They put their faith into action. It's not just just a faith they have, it's a faith they live. Faith is not a noun, it's a verb. And they make that a verb. They they live everything out. They're not secret agent Christians, right? (laughs) You have no clue they're a Christian. Like they cuss all the time at work. And then they're like, yeah, I go to so-and-so church. You go to church? (laughs) What people should say to you is, you know what? I knew it. That's like the greatest compliment I have when I play basketball with guys. I'm very competitive. But when they say, "Man, man, I... I saw you on Instagram, man. Like, I was scrolling through, and you came up. I, like, I play basketball. And he was like, man, I knew you had to be a pastor or something, man. Isn't that a great compliment? What would be bad is say, man, you're a pastor? Really? I never would have guessed it. That's not a compliment. They put their faith in the action. And I love, as we close here today, uh, let me share this scripture with you. Here's what Paul wrote to, to, to Philemon. He says this. He says, and I'm, Philemon 1.6, he says, I'm praying that you, will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. He says, I'm praying that you will put into action, put into action. That's what he was praying for about. The generosity that comes from your faith in Christ, all the, you have all this knowledge and this goodness of Jesus. God has been so good to you. You're redeemed. Your sins have been forgiven. And what he was asking him to do was to let go of a slave in the first century in the Roman Empire. He's like, man, Onesiphorus has given his life to Christ. Just, just will you please, will you please put into action what you know? You know what Paul was saying in that whole book? You know better than that. You have all this knowledge. May your life be congruent with it. Jesus told his listeners in one of his first sermons ever, he gave this analogy of this person who built a house on sand and a person who built a house on the rock, firm foundation. He said that two people were building. It's not the question, am I building? It's, 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 It's what are you building and where are you building? And he says, that these two people, one built upon sand, and when the storms and the winds of life came, it just swept it away. 
This is another one. And, and these guys in the first century knew about this because it was all about the, the rocky, you know, foundation you could build your house upon. He says, if somebody else built their house upon the rock, and when the storms and the winds came, he says, that house stood. Then he pauses and he says this to him. I believe he smiled at him and said, people who built their house on the rock, that's the ones who do the word. That's the ones that are doers of the word. The people who build their house on the sand, that's the ones who just listen. I want to encourage you today. What, what am I supposed to do? I want you to close the gaps of your faith where you're not just learning a whole lot. You're not just listening to the sermons. You're not just reading the Bible, but you're letting the Bible read you. I don't want you to just get through the Bible in a year, get the Bible through you. When you read it, you say, God, now what must I do with what I just read? When you hear a sermon, God, now what must I do with what I just heard? What is my action? And that's my prayer for you is that every time that you are listening to God's word, every time you're in a small group, every time you're under the, the sound of a sermon, you're thinking, what must I do? Let's don't say that'll preach. Let's say that'll live. Because that's what we should be doing, right? Living it out. That's maturity. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your teachings of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you encourage us to live out our faith in every area, to live out the teachings of Scripture, to not just believe them, to not just recite them, to not just know them, but to live them. Now here's what we need, God. We need your Holy Spirit who lives inside of every believer to speak to our hearts to help us, God, to give us the power and the strength every day to grow in our faith, to respond to your word with action. Help us do that, God. Help us to close the gaps. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to understand what true maturity is and how to grow as a mature believer. May we have the actions with the knowledge that we have, Father. Give us the power to do that. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe your next step or your action is to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you walked away from your faith and began to do your own thing, and you've come back to Thrive Church this morning, and God is not mad with you. He's not upset with you. He doesn't have you in spiritual timeout. The Father's arms are open wide for you today. And right where you're sitting, right where you're at as we're praying, Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you want to fully surrender to him, whether it's for the first time ever, or maybe you're saying, you know what, I want to just, just recommit my faith to the Lord this morning. Wherever you're at right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me and make this confession of faith. You say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of being the boss. Today, I surrender to you. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe that he rose again on the third day. I believe he sits at your right hand. And I believe that he did all this, not just for the world, but he did this for me. So today, I turn from my old life. I repent. And I receive the full forgiveness of sins. God, forgive me. Jesus, save me. 
thank you. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Now help me, God, to live out my faith for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.